Open up your Bibles as we continue our look at the attributes of God. I want to look today at the perspective of God. We, we looked two weeks ago at the prospective of God. Today we look at the perspective. Turn to Psalm 14. Psalm number 14. We're going to read the first three verses. The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable or utterly loathsome works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven. Again, we're looking at the perspective of God. Where is he looking from? He looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We quoted this earlier today, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. From the perspective of God, he that says there is no God is a fool, the psalmist says. Consider Psalm 53, verse 3. Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. We discussed out of Isaiah 33, 34, and 35 a few weeks ago that there'd have to be a difference maker, that the cities, the people of the cities quaked at the sound of God, at the utterance of God, at the holiness of God. And in Isaiah 35, we hear of the highway of holiness restored. Though the wayfaring man forsook it, the wayfaring man rejected it. Though the wayfaring man failed at his job to preach repentance and preach the truth, somehow... As we read in Isaiah 35, these things are restored. So what is or who is that great difference maker? So again, from the perspective of God that we'll look at today, we see things very clearly. And he makes a promise in Isaiah 33, 22, that the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, and that he will save us. He will save us. It might seem like a great contradiction compared to the points that we're about to make from his perspective. And I pray that at the conclusion of this message, we see his might, we see his majesty, and we see our desperate need for him. Turn over to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll really be following Genesis uh, for the remainder of, the, of this lesson. So if you want to just stay there, uh, you certainly can. I want to examine the best we can how God sees his creation. Before him, there was no creation. By its very definition, there can be no creation without a creator. Genesis 1.1, as we read in Sunday school, says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And at the conclusion of the sixth day, this being the sixth day ever, not just some random sixth day, but the sixth day ever of all time, there was a first and there is also a sixth. He says this in verse 31 of Genesis 1, the last verse of the chapter. God saw everything that he had made. Nothing was out of his sight. And behold, it was very good. This is the great assessment of God himself of what he had created. He saw it all and he says, behold. He makes a declaration. He, he calls attention to it. It was very good. And in this very good state, man was naked. Man was unashamed. For there was nothing to be ashamed of. They were as God had created them until he succumbed to the temptation of the serpent. 
until Adam chose to hearken unto the words of his wife, unto the words of creation itself. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into our points. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we revisit the idea of our depravity, as we try to look through a lens that gives us some iota of what your perspective must be, we ask, Father, your mercy upon us. As it will reveal our wickedness, it will reveal that we only desire rebellion. And it will indeed reveal that we have earned those wages of our sin, which is death. I ask, Father, that it would cause us to think again on salvation. That it would cause for us to think of the only way in which we will ever see the kingdom of heaven and that we must be born again. That we would long for deliverance if we don't have it. That we would be made sure of our election if we do have it. And that we would even more vehemently share the gospel that others might hear it. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I know that we recently went through the doctrines of grace and praise the Lord for that opportunity. Some of this is going to be review as a result. And I believe we preached that message in July, so it has been a little bit. The very first point is that man fell totally, not partially, not kind of, but totally. God was to be exalted from the very beginning. And the sin of man was that for even a moment, even a moment, he failed to do so. God was called and, and, and created all of creation to honor and obey him. It's the same reason he created marriage. It's a whole other sermon, but you can see some parallels here as we go through. Consider Romans 5.12, and Romans 5 is really the text that we use when we taught through depravity the first time. When Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all have sinned. It seems like a, a quick, natural conclusion, but consider Romans 6.23, 3.23 on your own time, and understand that the wages of sin were death. So this is a, a fast conclusion of the whole truth. Man fell, man failed, and therefore all have failed in man, because man fell. The word man in Genesis, if you were to look it up in Strong's, is Adam. It's the same. It is him. It is he in which we fell. What God saw in man from our text began in Genesis 3. Again, we're looking at his perspective. And this is what he sees. Suddenly man desires to cover things. We see in Genesis 3, 7, Adam reveals that they are ashamed of creation. The eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened. And they knew that they were naked. They'd always been naked. They, they didn't suddenly become naked when they ate of the fruit of that tree. They had always been naked. And they began sewing fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They'd never had need of aprons before. They never sewed before. They had always been naked. And they'd also had that paired with being unashamed. But suddenly, as they rebelled against God, as they failed to exalt God, they find themselves to be naked and ashamed. We see in verse 10 of Genesis 3, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. That sentence really shouldn't make any sense to anyone. He'd always been naked. Why is he suddenly fearful of something that hadn't changed? Oh, so many rabbit trails. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm going to leave him alone. And then they were suddenly ashamed of holiness. Genesis 3.8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is something they'd heard, no doubt, constantly, if not every day. 
They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that's uh, an interesting phrase to make note of as well. It contrasts against what happens after the sentencing later. He was in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves from holiness. They hid themselves from creation and from their nakedness. They were ashamed of the truth. Consider Genesis 3.12. The man said, The woman that thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Genesis 3.13, Eve says, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. He was ashamed of the wife that God had given him. Imagine saying this to the Lord. The woman thou gavest to be with me, in a sense he's saying it's your fault. You gave me her. You had to know how this was going to end. She's nothing but trouble. Why would a man's wife be nothing but trouble? Is a man leading his home? Was Adam giving the commandments of God unto his wife? This tree we are to abstain from. We ought to never even be near it. Our nakedness is not something to be ashamed of because this is how God made us. Was he teaching these things in the home? She blames the serpent. Did God not make the serpent? Was the serpent not made of creation? I know whose voice is coming through the serpent. But she blamed the serpent. See, what we, what we find here is that immediately man forsakes his responsibility to repent before God. We didn't invent that in 2022. Man has always forsaken his responsibility to repent before God. And this is their response. Not, I'm sorry, Lord. I went the wrong direction and I turn again unto you. For those who are here throughout the week, I've desperately wanted to put on that sign that this, this parking lot is not a place of repentance. Because people turn around here constantly. But Adam and Eve didn't have any longing to turn around. They were immediately shifting blame and covering sin, hiding from the holiness of God, from the voice of God. How would things be different if they were called to repentance right then and there? You know, this isn't outside. Uh, I don't uh, hypothesize here that all these things would be undone and changed. But before the conclusion of the chapter, we see mercy from God. We see that there's now a requirement upon man that wasn't there before because they were allowed to dwell in the land of the tree of life. From God's perspective, his creation, man himself, that was made in God's own image, had grown distant and distorted and unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. You imagine that God made man in his own image and now cannot recognize him. We see this repeated through the generations as our children grow older, as we see resemblances in our babies and our toddlers and, our, and such uh, of ourselves. Boy, he looks like daddy. Boy, he looks like mama. What a perfect blend of this and that. You know, he looks like his big sister. And, and then suddenly you reach a time in which they don't seem to resemble anyone. The things that come out of their mouth you find as a parent, you say, oh, I never put that there. I never taught them to say that. Those actions, I never told them to do that. And, and I, don't, I will not single any of my children out. But this is teenagedom. And we all went through it. It is probably when we are at our most rebellious, though we were always rebellious, it might be when we're most vocal about it. From God's perspective, distant, distorted, and unrecognizable. Think of our text and what God sees. Genesis, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. You ever thought about that phrase, desperately wicked? 
If you're falling off a mountain and desperately reaching for the cliff or a vine or something to catch yourself, man's desperately wicked, clawing after, calling out for wickedness. The heart is deceitful. Man must rebel. Man must reach for God but not be saved because he, he reached for him. Man must recognize that he's fallen short. And yet man desperately calls out for and clings out for and reaches out for with every inch and every desire more wickedness. Man is only evil continually. We reference Romans 3.23 for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We reference Romans 6.23 for the wages of sin is death. Oh, those who know the Lord, we should be longing for the remainder of that verse, should we not? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, what we've earned is death. What we're given as a gift, if we are the elect of God, is his mercy. Is the sure mercies of David. Everlasting eternal life. Not earned, not reached after, but given as a gift. It's important that we understand that from the perspective of God. Though same who we've described as lawgiver and judge and king, we don't deserve it. We won't earn it. He sees the heart and sees that it's only evil continually. That means there will never be a time that left alone, the nature of man will come to the ultimate conclusion that he needs God. And we only love God if we love God because he first loved us, because he first acted upon us, not because we suddenly changed our minds. We have to recognize this. Man belongs to judgment. That's our second point. Man belongs to judgment. For the wages of sin is death. Death is the penalty that we have purchased with our sin. We call it penalty because we know it to be devastating, but it's really referenced in the Bible at times as a reward. Death is the reward. It's what you've earned. Congratulations. Now death is your reward. You have only run towards rebellion. You have only desperately reached out for wickedness. Our full rebellion is equal to our full death. Where the promise through Christ is life eternal or continual living, the wages or income of our sin is death eternal or dying continually. If this is your first time to hear this, please understand that as a preacher, I have no safe place to proclaim this message from. The same would be true of me without the gift of grace, this gift of God of eternal life. The same would be true of my saved children without the grace or the gift of God. And the same will be true of my lost children, lest they be born again. This is a fact. As much as a fact as the next time you watch your favorite movie, it ends the same way. The next time you read Genesis 22, it ends the same way. It won't change. It's immutable. You wouldn't go into it expecting something different. Our flesh wants to go into the, the subject of salvation expecting a different outcome. There is no different outcome. You must be born again. There is no different outcome. The, the gate is narrow and there's only one way. And he happens to be the truth, the life, and the way. It is only Christ Jesus that will be able to give you access to the kingdom of God. And there is nothing, 
no great value brand, no mock, no pretending, no backdoor, no hack codes, no cheat way in. It's only by Christ Jesus. We who are born again ought to be thankful for that. If it was our works, we wouldn't be able to keep it up. One day we'd fall short. One day we'd find ourselves to be as weak as described from the perspective of God. The third fact for us to consider is that the world is dying with us. All of creation fell with man. The reason you'll never undo and probably never truly prove global warming is because this world's dying as a result of man's sin. This world's dying as much as we are. As sure as you will die, so will this earth. We were talking, ironically enough, on the day that she passed, we were talking about uh, how old the, the queen was, and then I mentioned Angela Lansbury, and I said, she's been around quite a while. I'm pretty sure my grandpa Sitters had a crush on her. He watched Murder, She Wrote constantly. I mean, constantly. As a 10-year-old, wasn't a big fan, but he loved it. I like Jake and the Fat Man. We can talk about that later, but... But she passed away like the very next day after we brought her up. But she died. And you will too. We talked a couple weeks ago about the amount of funerals that we have all attended or been a part of in just two years. Uh, it's devastating to think about how many we've been a part of since May when my grandmother went home. And in that time, Mandy's grandmother went home. Clark's mother went home. We are constantly passing. We have constant proof, like streaming proof for those in 2022. Streaming proof. You don't see YouTube videos on it. Nerds don't get together and discuss how we're all dying. And in today's day and age, if you don't see a video on YouTube about it, it's probably not true. If Google doesn't verify it, then we can't believe it. But the Word of God declares it. All! That's what it says here. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin, the reward of sin, congratulations, is death. You earned it. The earth earned it. And all that will follow have earned it. We can't undo it. It cannot be removed. But it can, praise God, be conquered. It can be more than conquered through Christ Jesus. Then not only will death be conquered... You'll have everlasting life. You'll have an, an, an eternal inheritance. Without lifting one finger because it's a gift of God. This is the perspective of God, not the perspective of man. Lust and war became one of man's earliest industries, as those who've been here for our Wednesday night study recall. In Genesis 4, verses 3 through 8, Cain slays Abel. A little bit later in Genesis 4, Cain's great-grandson, Lamech, took unto him two wives, also not established by God, and later wrote a beautiful poem about how violent he is. And he wrote it to his two wives. There's a whole lot of messed up in there, and you can go back and listen to those messages if you would like. In his very words, Lamech reveals that he is lusting for violence and lusting for revenge. What we've seen in the last hundred years is man's vain attempt to cover it up. Man's vain attempt to hide it. No, there hasn't been any great world wars. There's been wars. There's been violence. I would call abortion violence. We continue to slay lives as if we feed off of it. We continue to care very little about the souls of others as though it's not our problem. 
Are we our brother's keeper? By the time of Noah, in Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6, we read, God saw the wickedness of man. Again, the perspective of God. He saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. This isn't the first time he'd seen it. He's describing here the volume or the uh, level of which he had seen or witnessed. It was great in the earth. And every or all, every imagination of thoughts of his or man's heart was only evil continually. These are definitive descriptions here. Every, all, only. That means everyone here and everyone you are connected to by relation, by marriage, or just by association has the thoughts of evil only continually in his heart. Only. How many of you want to be successful? How many of you will stop at nothing? How many of you marriage or, or, or measure success to be healthy marriage, healthy children, healthy babies, money in the bank? You're wrong. You're wrong. We're talking about the perspective of God here. The perspective of God really doesn't care about your 401k. If he did, he'd tell us how to invest. He tells us to invest in treasures in the kingdom, not here. Can you imagine the Lord walking around during his earthly ministry with a bag full of holes in it? The prophet said that. And saying, put your treasure in here. I'll keep it for you forever. Put your treasure in here. Thudunk. As it goes through the bag, it hits the ground. Put your treasure in here, Isaac. Throw it on in here. Thudunk. Right down to the ground. This is not what the Lord said. This is not how success is measured in God's word. But it is how we measure it in our precious little hearts that are only evil continually. When we start at the wrong point, and we start measuring success incorrectly, and we start looking at things from our perspective instead of God's perspective, we get good and riled up when we hear about total depravity and unconditional election. When we hear there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, we say, hogwash! We can't accept it! When Jesus told those that had been fed that followed him around the Sea of Galilee that he was the bread of life, that he was more than just miracle upon miracle upon miracle, that only through him would everlasting life be given. They said this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who can keep it? Who can accept it? And they turned away. They turned away. You can almost hear him grumble. We followed this man for miles. We pursued after him as our only hope. How dare he speak to us that way? Their measure of success was very different. Those that rejected him because they wanted to be freed from uh, Roman oppression, Greek oppression, ages of oppression, they had the wrong starting point, the wrong definition of success. Nicodemus that came by night saying, surely you're a man of God, you do all these miracles. How about you tell us how to do it? Tell us how you did it. Tell us some secrets in the dark of night. And Jesus tells them the greatest truth there ever was. You must be born again. Jesus points out later in John 3 that man hates light. I wonder how Nicodemus felt about that, considering he had to meet him in the dark of night. Man prefers darkness rather than light, he says. You know, you hear things like that in a sermon, you squirm a little bit. Nicodemus is the only one in this conversation. And he says that I, Christ Jesus, must be exalted as the, bright, as the brazen serpent. 
that the lost, that the sick be healed, that the lost be found. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Remember Genesis 1.31? God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Listen to God's perspective in Genesis 6, verses 11 through 12. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, we see that phrase again, and behold, it was corrupt. Not very good. Corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Today, entire industries have been established to profit off the sinfulness of our hearts. Pornography, abortion, drug dealing, sure. But what about gambling, which seems to have no shame anymore? ESPN has shows dedicated to gambling. Uh, playing fantasy football with my, my boy and family. We see gambling averages every single week now on the side as we're trying to figure out who we're going to play. We don't want anything to do with that, but man does. Man longs for easy success, easy believism, easy, 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 easy. Doesn't get any easier than a free gift. This is the gift of God. Doesn't get any easier than one that went and took our sins to the cross, never uttering a word. What if he did? What word would he have said? What if he would have said, Joe Sitters, this is for you? Can you imagine how my heart would break? What if he said every time the cat of nine tails struck his back and tore his flesh open, this blood is for Steve Kaiser. And he deserves it. What if every ounce of shame that he went through was truly written and portrayed for us to feel and understand personally? What if when we closed our eyes and thought about the crucifixion, we indeed picture ourselves upon that cross? No, we celebrate baseball players that go 18 innings. We celebrate men who run marathons, women who run marathons. We celebrate those who have cancer, but somehow found a way. And I don't belittle that, but that's not success. That's a, a type of fortitude for sure. But that's not success. We now have video, video games, and we've had it for quite a while, that promote stealing and violence. Superhero and super athlete idol worship, board games in which the better liar prevails. Some of these are in our very homes. Some of these we long for. Even Big Pharma attempts to persuade us that man can save himself. Oh, 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 them big. Any of your favorite 60s hits? It's all pharmaceutical medication now. What's really bewildering is how if you read the very first little thing they put on the screen is these are actors portraying uh, these symptoms and these, these healings. They are paid people standing on the screen. They're actors. Their very profession is to lie to us, and they say, I've been healed. My eyes don't bulge anymore. Take this medicine. They're actors. That's what they get paid to do. Do we jump on the phone and say, yeah. It solved all the problems for, for Mike, from Mike and Molly. It's going to solve all the problems for me. 
That's not success. That's what Satan offered Jesus. That's what Satan offers you. What we talked about this morning in studying the Word of God, it isn't easy. It's needful. It's beneficial. But it isn't easy. And if you'll notice, there's no big pharma company yet that's given us a pill in which we'll understand the Bible. That's not their goal. What about the public schools? How many of us have yet to rise up for our children who are being exposed every day to evolution, binary and non-binary relations, open sexuality, and so on? We're convinced that sex trafficking is the worst as it's our children being taken from us, but they're being corrupted in the nest and we do nothing about it. We say, well, we've got to work. That is priority. I want you to look at your children and say that. Look at your child and say, I have to work or I'll never be able to retire. That is priority. You know what? You don't have to. You have already told them. Yeah, we've let our children down. This isn't America's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. We've done this. We've forsaken the home. We've looked to our ladies and said, you've got to work. And businesses have heard it. So they don't pay anybody hardly anything anymore. Because you're going to have two workers in the home. Why should a man be paid more? I mean, ladies, look at the, look at the news. Look at the fight. You don't want us to be paid more. And therefore, you'll be working forever with us. Because women can do it too. And black women can do it too. And Asian women can do it too. And gay women can do it too. And the wages continue to drop. Because as long as everybody wants to work... Why should an employer pay one person to do it? Oh, preacher, you're, you're way off. Am I? Am I? We're a couple generations removed from women not working. And they stayed home with their children. And maybe they didn't always homeschool, but their children always behaved. How are your kids doing? How are my kids doing? We're in a, in a circumstance of our own making. Because of our idea of success. Kids got to have the latest game systems. Got to have a brand new bike. Got to have a brand new basketball hoop. Got to have a brand new car when they're 16. No. No, they don't. You know what word we don't use as parents very often? Even of our adult kids? The easiest word that is pretty much the same word in every language. No. We don't use it. We don't use it on ourselves. When we're faced with a dilemma, we click Amazon or Big Pharma or, Lord help us, drug dealers, pornography, abortion. You see, we're the, the target audience. We're the customer that's being targeted by all these things. They don't care that you're Christian. Christians don't make waves anymore. Hardly ever since Acts have Christians turned the world upside down. Does that mean the Lord expects less of us? No. In the book of Acts, Christians got their name because they were causing problems for the world. They were still flipping over tables that the world sought to make money from. Now we pass by, or we don't go to those places anymore. We say, we know what happens in that place, so we'll abstain from going anywhere near it. Sometimes we even use scripture to say, it's okay that they do their thing, we'll do our thing. Because we're to abstain from all appearances of evil. That's a true verse. We shouldn't tolerate it, though. We shouldn't tolerate sin and wickedness. 
We should not be okay with it. We should not be okay with the last two presidents of our country both being wicked. Both. Now, I'll get some letters from Baptist preachers now. But no one's going to stand in a pulpit and say that President Trump was a moral man, a fine, upstanding man that we should look to as a role model for our children. The Lord did great things with him. I think probably to our shame because we weren't looking for a moral character to put in the White House. And we're still not. Look down the pipeline. Show me more than two or three people who know God that want to lead our nation. A judgment is coming for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That includes each and every one of us. We're not excluded. We may be saved and praise the Lord, but we deserve hell. Should we not frantically be searching for hope? If I told you this building was on fire and everybody in this room is going to perish, would you not be seeking the exits? Would you not be calling out to loved ones? Stacy, are you okay? Get on out of the building. You're going to perish. Would you not be warning everyone? Would you not be doing a head count outside to make sure everyone made it? It's on fire, beloved. Our homes are on fire. Our city's on fire. Our nations are on fire. Our workplaces are on fire. Call out to everyone. I smell smoke. Get yourselves to safety. Our fallen estate is in great contradiction to God's absolute holiness, and Lord willing, we'll see more on that shortly. Before we conclude this message, let me encourage you that though man is in desperate need of a keeper, and though he is an enemy to God, there is hope. Though God, back in Genesis 6, said he would destroy man, whom he had created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, Genesis 6-7, because of his continual wickedness, he made a way for grace. He made a way for grace in Genesis 3. We see in 1 Peter 3.20, the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. That's a long time, 120 years building that ark, preaching repentance, and only eight were in the ark. And God told Noah only eight are going to go. I'm sure Noah would have started to find a way to save lumber. That's how my heart works. Noah would have found a way. Well, we, we don't need this. It it's not going to take us 120 years, Lord. Good news. We'll build something the size of the SS Minnow, and we'll be fine. That's what Gilligan thought, too. We need to follow God. Every measurement, every amount of pitch has been laid out. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. From the perspective of God, we are without hope. We deserve every ounce of hell and then some. From our perspective, he is our only hope. He has conquered death. See yourself today as totally depraved and cry out as Simon Peter did, Lord, save me, as he saw himself perishing, as he, he felt himself plummeting through the waters. What was once solid ground that he stood upon became that which he was most familiar with, and he was sinking. Lord, save me! 
We talked before about how fast he probably said that in Matthew 14, 30. We'll close with this. David wrote in Psalm 3, verses 7 through 8, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Let us meditate upon this. I know you've recently heard the message on total depravity. But understand that's his perspective of us. He knows how it'll all work out, but we don't. He's told us everything we need to know. You need Jesus. He is the only means of salvation. Ye must be born again. These are the words of Jesus himself. That he was sent from the Father to keep those that were given unto him, the elect, this is all reference to the doctrines of grace. And praise the Lord, we did that before going into his attributes. His attributes ought to be a little bit of review of that because it's his character, is it not? As we study his attributes, it should be reflected through all his word, through every Bible story that we know, through the ministry of Christ Jesus, because he's immutable and doesn't change. There's no type of him, true type of him, no true depiction of him in which deviates from the truth because he does not deviate. And praise the Lord for that. If he did, we'd be in trouble. Because we're only evil continually. We would, of our own, only get worse. But he does not deviate. Praise the Lord.